Welcome to Heroin City, the podcast shining a light on women in history and all their glorious shapes and forms, efforts, errors and eras. I'm Lindsay Shaw and today we will be talking with Dr Pat Shipman about the exceptional life of Hungarian-born explorer Florence Baker. is a paleoanthropologist and author, educated at Smith College and New York University in biological anthropology. A writer of many books and articles, over 150 articles in scientific journals, she has travelled the world extensively in her research. In 2001, she was elected a Fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science and a Fellow of the Royal Geographic Society. Dr. Shipman has written 10 well-received books about science aimed at non-scientists, three biographies and two guidebooks. It is one of these biographies, To the Heart of the Nile, published in 2004, an epic tale of the life and endeavours of the 19th century explorer, Lady Florence Baker, to which we refer today. We are delighted to have Dr Shipman here to talk with me about Florence and her fascinating and very unique story. Welcome, Pat Shipman, to Heroin City. Today, we are talking about Lady Florence Baker. If you could give us an idea of the woman and her life and why we should know more about her. All right. Florence Baker was born Barbara Marie Sass, an SC, in Romania, to a rather well-to-do family. And during her early childhood, when she was maybe three or four, the people in Transylvania wished to get out of the Hungarian-Austrian Empire, which Austria did not take too kindly. War broke out. There were the usual massacres and bloodbaths and men wandering through the cities with evil intent. And Florence's natal family became a target. Her grandfather was a prominent politician, and so they were very well known and well-to-do. Her nursemaid managed to escape the house with little Florence about the time that her father fled with the military troops, the rebellious army. And for a long time, they had no idea where he was or where anyone else in the family was. And it seems quite likely that a lot of them died. But the nursemaid eventually got Florence. And remember, she's only three or four years old hundreds of kilometers away, on foot, no money, no anything, to a refugee camp in the Ottoman Empire. One of the basic principles of the Ottoman Empire at that time was if people ask you for refuge or assistance in a dire emergency, you of course grant it to them, so they were taken in. Eventually, it turned out her father was at the same refugee camp, along with thousands of other people, inadequate supplies, no sanitation, all kinds of wonderful conditions. As Florence grew up, there was a lot of disease and death in the camp. And there are two possibilities. One is that her father died of it. And the other is that the Ottoman Empire made an offer to the military officers from the rebel army that if they would convert to Muslim, they would be given a new name, taken into the Ottoman Empire army, and therefore paid and given rations and so on, and would no longer be living under such miserable conditions. It seems most likely that this is what her father did. There are hints and indications that he was a fairly high up officer. He was the attache to the general of the army. And during 
time when he had to be not at home in the refugee camp in a miserable tent. The nursemaid went missing, may have easily been kidnapped or murdered or many other things. And Florence was kidnapped by an Armenian lady who came into the camp selling goods that everybody needed, who said she would find her a good Ottoman family who would take her in. So she was taken in by this family, raised with the daughters of the family. And this is an extraordinary influence on her life because the only way a girl could get educated at that time in the Ottoman Empire was to be taken into the harem, which was the name for the part of the palace that was occupied by women and children, and very rarely by any men, except for the pasha, the man who owned the place, and possibly his grown boys if he had any. Florence was very beautiful, blonde and blue-eyed, with a remarkable spirit about her. She never realized that she had been kidnapped as a slave in the harem. That was her destiny. That was the only chance she had of living. She was given a lala, which was a black African eunuch, to be her companion, protector, guardian family is what it came down to. So having been raised in this environment, she found at puberty, she was the jewel in the auction of slave and harem girls in Vidin, a town along the Danube. Being blonde and blue-eyed was a definite advantage. It was considered more of an advantage that she spoke two European languages, German and Hungarian, and that she could ride a horse well, she could make good coffee, which was considered a very important womanly role. She knew math, she knew geography, she knew all kinds of subjects because she had been raised basically as the Pasha's daughter. And she was a virgin, of course, and this was certified by midwives. I have recreated the day of her sale in my book. There are very few documents that tell us exactly what went on, but there are a lot of documents that tell us what such sales were like. And the well-to-do gentlemen who could see the advertisement that was widely posted of an elite sale of harem girls in Vidin on this particular day, the reception rooms were crowded with men who were given coffee and sweetmeat and little delicacies to eat as they waited for the girls to be presented one by one. About the time Florence realizes that this is a slave auction and that she is not going to be married to a fine Ottoman family, which she expected, having been raised in one, that she was to be sold, Sam and his companion, the Maharaja Dulip Singh, who had been going along the Nile, going along the Danube on a hunting expedition, but they had run into an iceberg, which sounds idiotic. And Dulip Singh was very angry that they had. He was uncomfortable enough on the boat, which was not a fine boat. And that this Englishman who was supposed to be so proficient at hunting and traveling ran into an iceberg, infuriated him. So to amuse, Dulip Singh. Sam took him to this auction. The Maharaja had quite an eye for the ladies, and Sam was always rescuing him from socially unacceptable proposals to ladies wherever they went, including housemaids and big houses and things like that. So they go in, arriving about the time the auction is getting going. The first girls are being sold, and of course they sell the ones anticipated to be of lower value first. So as the first one is sold, Florence suddenly realizes, and her name had been changed to Florence by the family, realizes that she is a slave, and she is outraged. 
absolutely outraged and complains to her Lala that she is not to be a slave. What is she doing at this auction? And being a high-priced harem girl was a very fine career for a young woman. It was the only one where she would get an education, the only one where she would not engage in menial labor. And he was very proud of her and tried to impress on her that she was a jewel. She was the morning star. She was going to bring the highest price ever because she was so accomplished and beautiful and a certified virgin. She has to go out on the stage when her turn comes to be auctioned off. Jumping off the stage and running away wasn't a possibility, but she is livid, and it shows in her face and in her attitude as they are displaying her beautiful figure and her lovely shining hair and her competency at all kinds of womanly occupations. And Sam and the Maharaja are in the audience, and as she tells it later, and he tells it in his diaries, their eyes meet and he can read what is going on with her completely and is captivated by her courage, her lack of demure blushing, eyes downcast, putting her hand across her face, behaviors. Although this is totally unacceptable for a man of his stature who circulates with royals in England, he borrows money from Duluth Singh to buy the girl. And he is outbid, which is shocking. It's said to be the highest price ever offered for a harem girl. As the auction is closing, Sam goes backstage where the girls are, finds her Lala and says, get this girl and meet me at the south door. And of course, the harem house, the harem is completely walled. It may be open to the skies. There are courtyards. There are all kinds of things, but nobody can see in and nobody can see out. Although it threatens his own life, Ali gets Florence, runs with her to the south gate, gets her on the carriage that Sam has just hired, and he and Dulip Singh and this woman he's just stolen from the harem get in the car, which is a closed carriage, and race for the river where Sam is going to find someone to take them across the river, which is out of the domain of the Ottoman Empire, but still very accessible to the important man who has rightfully bought Florence. And they decide to pass her off as one of the servants. Dulip Singh never travels with fewer than three or four servants. So another one is not particularly unusual. And when asked for her passport, which was folded piece of paper with an official stamp on it, it's not like our passports today. They hand the awesome and official a hunting license upside down because they have discerned that he can't actually read or if he can read, he cannot read English. And so along with the others of the other servants and so on, he passes her through. By now they've found her some very servant-like clothing. I mean, just ordinary woman's clothing. And they get in the boat and they do get to the other side where Sam hires another carriage and they go racing to a town that is big enough and far enough away from Vidim that they think they will be impossible to follow. But the whole, the whole trip, which takes several days, is really galloping for their life. <laughs> 
in this carriage. Dulip Singh is fed up. It's not comfortable. The food isn't good. He eventually decides to take over one of the other carriages that Sam has hired that the servants were traveling in, who all have to crowd together in the third carriage. And they run for their lives, all the way passing her off as a servant. She speaks German, as Sam does, of course, and Dulip Singh does, but he finds it awkward and inconvenient. He'd prefer to speak in English. As he says, the food is no good. The accommodations have fleas. The whole trip is just miserable. So he separates himself more and more from the other two who fall in love. I mean, hours of traveling along bumpy dirt roads at high speed and great discomfort, but it gives him a wonderful opportunity to talk. And Sam cannot believe Florence's courage and bravado perhaps. Um, or, or tenacity. Yes, yeah. yes, and her beauty, and all of the things she knows how to do. And he, she also tells him what the harem is like, because he has thought it was a brothel. That is the general opinion of what harems are like in England, and it is not at all. She has never been alone with another man in her life. It's an important point that we should come back to when we talk about later in her life. Just before we move on with the rest of the story, which is obviously amazing, and then it goes again into more life-threatening situations, but I always wondered if she was to be sold to someone who had a lot of money and paid a high price for her, what would have her life looked like if she had been sold and it had gone that way? Okay, she would have gone into another big harem at least for a while, and if she was very cunning for her the rest of her life, uh, she would have been the favorite, the Iqbal. And that meant she would get the finest clothes, the finest jewels, the finest treatment. And every once in a while, the person who owned her would come for marital pleasure. And he could loan her to somebody else. But while she was the favorite, he wouldn't. And the trick to living in great comfort for the rest of her life would be bearing a son. The mother of the son is a very special person in the harem. They say a man may have many wives, but only one mother. And she would have inherited the power and status of the most important woman in the harem. Other women might have been put to baking, doing accounts, organizing maps and geography and books, training horses, I mean, there were a number of occupations that did not involve sleeping with whoever turned up, but that also was the price of being a harem girl and having the education and the access to better food and luxurious clothes and jewels if you were charming enough. So going back to the fact that she didn't know and it was a surprise to her and her Lala perhaps did or everyone around her perhaps Knew. Yes, everyone knew. Why do you think she didn't know? Was it just it hadn't occurred to her or was it just that they kept it from her? Was it just that they thought it was so obvious no one mentioned it? I mean, you know, why had it taken that long? I can come up with two answers. One is that it was so obvious nobody would bring it up because, of course, she was going to be in a harem. What else was she going to do? I mean, marry a peasant farmer? Come on. The other thing I think was because she was so little when she got there, her knowledge of politics and of the way the Ottoman Empire worked was a child's knowledge. And she happened to be the age of the daughters of the family that owned her. And so instead of teaching her things privately, which would have been a fuss, they just put her in with their own daughters. And I think because she was always treated as a daughter of the household, she sort of thought she was. And then she gets to be 12 or 14 and becoming a woman and at the ripe age for sale because you don't want to let them hang around too long lest they become no longer virgins. She assumed she had a privileged status. 
But what she didn't get was that it was a slave status, not a daughter of the household status. As presumably the daughters of the household would be wed to beneficial yes, they would be married as girls of an elite well-to-do family. And interesting as well that Florence had come from a well-to-do family. And that was also perhaps, even in her three years, something that she was aware of that would have been in the case for herself at that point too. Yes. I'm sure. She had always been treated as the daughter of a very important family. Of course, she'd forget a lot of her early life before she was kidnapped. But that confidence, that sense that you are the morning star, you are special, would only be enhanced by the way she was treated. And of course, Ali adored her and was so proud that this extraordinary being was his doing. He had raised her, and as he could have no family of his own, being a eunuch, she was his daughter in a real sense. Destiny strikes, and Sam is there, just so happens at the exact moment Florence needed him to be there. And then their journey starts, the second part of already a tumultuous life. You say they fall in love, Obviously, if you want to take a cynical view, you could think, well, you know, this man had just rescued her. So at the end of the day, this is someone who, to her, is going to be, I wouldn't want to say Stockholm Syndrome, but at the same time, you know, she's going to look at this man and think, this is my opportunity. This is my way out. At a point where she could see a different life looming large. You wouldn't believe that this was real life. Something out of a novel, isn't it? And that's what's so brilliant about it I think is it never stops for Florence and then meeting Sam just brings her into a whole new world. He's a rather I want to say a stereotype of an Englishman. Strong and muscular and very competent with things. Rides, shoots, brings stags down with his bare hands, all that stuff and he's also a little bit prim. So although one might assume there was a consensual or non-consensual sexual relationship on this journey, she is separated from him. Also, the farming households they stay in, it would be indecent for them to put her in a room with him. So she is roomed with the woman of the household or the women of the household. And he and Dulip Singh and the male servants are kept quite separate from I think her. that's good, isn't it, to see it in context of this, like you say, almost stereotypical Victorian man who felt that there was a way of doing things. And in that, it was about doing the right thing. I think that was largely why he was motivated when he saw her to get her out of that situation as well, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, you could say he had a hero complex. He wanted to save somebody, particularly such a beautiful young woman with such spirit, which was not encouraged by her. The family who raised her, she was a little too outspoken, a little too questioning, a little too bold, and that was perfect. (laughs) But she would have been obviously different. You know, the way she looked, the reason she was there, she would have been aware of being other in that situation. Yes. So it's interesting that she had a sense of entitlement that came with that rather than any kind of inferiority. It was all about her being special because of that othering. Yes. And one of the things that turns out to be very important in their later life together is that she was a good horsewoman and she had been taught to ride as a man rides with a leg on either side rather than in the very awkward side saddle, off balance, uh, both legs on one side that any English woman would have been taught. And so some of the time after they handed Dulip Singh back <laughs> and he was taken back to England, she would pose as his young male assistant or equerry or, or whatever and put her hair up and put 
a hat on and wear men's clothing, and she wasn't a voluptuous woman at that point. She was slender and teenaged and athletic and rode a stride, and nobody questioned it at all. We should probably mention as well at this point, Sam is travelling around on his expeditions, and he had four children back at home, and he'd been widowed. He hadn't. One wonders about his first wife and what she was like. I'm sure she wasn't like this. Sam and Chloe, as he took to calling her, were really good companions. She liked the same kind of stuff he did. She wasn't squeamish. She wanted to get in there and ride the horse and learn to shoot, and or to shoot better because she was fair shot anyway, and was up for adventures in wild places. I don't think Sam's first wife ever would have taken to that kind of lifestyle. Like we say, the stars were aligned with those two. The forces of nature coming together and circumstances bringing the two of them together as equals. They fled. Julep sings, thinking I'm not sticking around. Those two go off on more adventures. Let's talk about the sources. So you've mentioned diaries. They both kept diaries, which is useful. Obviously, they kept diaries when they went on expeditions, which was part of what they had to do. This early part of Florence's life, what are the sources for that specifically? Is it her talking about her life in hindsight? She didn't talk about it much. And of course, she would have been ruined in England, and Sam would have been ruined, if it had ever gotten out that he'd bought her at a harem auction. This was Queen Victoria. One did not do this. And harem has all of these connotations that aren't actually accurate, but people believed, especially Victoria yes. England, yeah, and yes. Victoria herself. That would have just been the end of them, as anybody in any kind of society in England. Where I got a lot of this information was I was looking for the military records of her father, because people keep military records. I happened upon a Romanian couple that was here at Penn State, and I got in touch with them and asked if perhaps they would be interested in taking on a little research task for me in their native language, which God knows I couldn't speak, I couldn't read, it was going to be impossible. And they did a superb job. Apparently that revolution was a huge event in Romanian history. They compared it to the American Civil War, and it was mostly lithographs about the revolution, but it was still all there. And as I was going through endless hospital records of military men and who died where and how many were killed in this battle and so on, my Romanian friends picked up that Florence's original surname, Sas, had always been misspelled as S-A-S-S. And it was S-Z-A-S-Z, which is a perfectly legitimate spelling, just not an English speaker's spelling. And because the grandfather was very well known and was in parliament, and her father, Matthias, was an important person in the Revolutionary Army, there were books that mentioned them. There were lists of who made it to this particular refugee camp, and I could pin down when her father had disappeared by sequential lists of who was there. So this many people, here are all of their names between pages 20 and 30, and then six months later, a year later, they'd do it all again. And at one point, he goes missing, and that is when the soldiers who were officers are offered the chance, if they will convert, to join the Ottoman army. And so it was putting that together. And in fact, the father was well enough known that a, a quite well known still now and prestigious private school or private academy was named after them. And the headmaster wrote me a letter and sent me a photograph, which was just amazing that he would know all about this. He would know all about this family, or at least what 
filtered back to the people there. He would know all about this revolution and they're getting me in touch with him. I actually telephoned him to talk to him and then he wrote me a letter of what he knew of the family and the photograph, which was extraordinary. Let me put it that way. It was just an extraordinary thing when you're trying to track down her life. When I first learned about Florence, I was working in Africa doing anthropological research and I took to reading the explorer's accounts. Sam's accounts are wonderful. They're such good reading. They're a lot of fun, as he was. He never paled at any challenge. And he presented her as his English wife. And if you did not meet her and hear her speak, you'd assume, as I did, that was who she was. She was some English aristocrat's daughter who'd grown up in a big house in the country, hunting and riding and doing all the things one did. And perhaps unusually athletic and unusually outspoken, but I'm sure there were women like that. And nobody had ever found her early life before I did. One of the points I'm very proud of, but I wouldn't have done it without my Romanian friends because it would have been hopeless for me anyway. <laughs> Had they heard about her? Were they aware of her life and what she became? I don't think they did. You know, they knew about her grandfather. They knew about her father. I think it was known that there was a girl child, but they went great lengths not to have anybody know where she'd gone. Did her mom die when she was young? Yes. Okay. Yes. She died in that war, was certainly murdered by Cossacks or wandering ex-soldiers or soldiers. But the family continued on or was that the last in the line? I think that may have been the last in the line, as I remember. Which makes sense if she then ended up in England and didn't really try to get in touch with anyone. No, if they'd learned where she came from, it would not have been helpful. Let's go back to the adventure that the two of them are on after several days' journey, after smuggling Florence out of that situation. Of What happened next? They, by that time, are pretty bonded to each other and very devoted to each other. Sam decides he had best stay in Central Eastern Europe, away from England, until things become more clear. And wherever he goes, Florence is going. <laughs> he is quite adamant about that, and she is quite adamant about it. One point later on, a fellow Englishman scolds him, because what is going to happen if he dies? She will have no name, no income, no nothing. I mean, she will basically not exist. And so throughout their time together, he goes to Bucharest to be the managing director of a railroad that is being built. And he gets scolded for not taking care of her and not making her legitimate. And he writes a will, leaving her a lot of money and charging his family with caring for her if he should die. And this is one of a number of wills he writes when they go into somewhat dangerous situations. There is little question that he feels very strongly about her, but he's not sure how he's going to get her to England and his family. <laughs> Never mind Queen Victoria and the Prince of Wales and all of his cohort. They live for a couple of years in Eastern Europe, and Sam starts to get itchy for an adventure. It's not a very salubrious place, and their conditions aren't great, but neither of them were one to complain about living conditions. But he hears through the Times of London that John Speak and Richard Burton have returned from the search for the source of the Nile and are at odds because Speak announces it and Burton was the head of the expedition and should have been the one to announce it. And he doesn't feel that Speak was adequately meticulous about documenting that it was the Nile 
They had found a giant lake, now known as the Victoria Nyanza, or Lake Nyanza, that could very logically have been the source of the Nile, but Speke never checked it out. And Burton was another extraordinary Victorian adventurer who spoke, I'm told, 27 languages and had passed as a Muslim in Medina and Mecca, which had he been discovered not to be a Muslim would have meant death. But he was so fluent and sort of dark-skinned, not what we would now call black, but a dark-haired, dark-eyed, dark-skinned man with a lot of sunburn. <laughs> and so he had decided to go find the source of the Nile and asked Speak, who was a military officer, to join him. In one of their early adventures together, he felt Speak had behaved in a cowardly way and retreated from the Arabs who were trying to kidnap, if not kill them. And so they had a very serious falling out. There has just been a new book written about the two of them. And I'm jealous only because I didn't get to write it. It's a totally marvelous story of amazing people. And at the end of their expedition, Speak had left Burton in Cairo, ill with malaria and heaven knows what other parasites, and had gone back to England and made the public announcement of the Royal Geographical Society. And that was a cause of much feuding and anger between the two of them. At any rate, picking up on this, Sam thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if they could find the source of the Nile? And that what they could do, because he was used to rivers and boats and things, and commanding large numbers of men, they could sail from Cairo up the Nile, because it empties to the north in Cairo, they could sail the wrong way on the Nile, and then they would know that the river was the Nile, whereas Speke and Burton had marched overland from the coast, and when they hit a big river, they said more or less, is this a Nile? Oh, must be the Nile. Yeah, this is a Nile. And from that point on, they were in on the right river, it's true, but it could not have been. And Sam and Floey start to plan an expedition to discover the source of the Nile by sailing up the Nile, which again is a crazy kind of thing to do, but they'd already sailed up the Danube. So, And of course, the Nile was one of the main highways, so to speak, for getting slaves to Cairo to sell, which was kind of a sensitive point. And England was not in favor of the slave trade and very much liked the idea that they would fight against it as they went. So they started planning the Nile trip, putting together a group of hundreds of porters to carry things. At one point, trying camels, which were barely trained and uncontrollable and annoying, <laughs> but eventually settling on a riverboat, the ones that still ply the Nile today, I understand, beautiful triangular sails to go look for the source of the Nile. Now, they did hope to run into Speak and Burton on the way, or Burton and Speak, and did not meet them at the time, although later did, of course. What age is Florence when they decide to take that? She's about 16 when they start up the Nile. And they meet up with people in Cairo, because there are several places in Cairo where lots of English vacationers went, well-to-do English vacationers, to admire the pyramids and the wonderful carvings and so on. You know, so again, it, there were hints that Florence was not Mrs. Baker, although she was introduced as Mrs. Baker, but she was Sam's cher ami, my dear friend in French, which of course is the language of scandal. And a number of people had the idea that somehow she was not as respectable as she claimed to be, but nobody ever spoke against her. It just gave a neighborhood for the rumors to spread in. Right, and potentially get back to 
England, I guess, to the yes. family, to his children, just who were looking after the children, am I right? His sister was looking after the children, his unmarried sister. So there was an increasing possibility that people would learn about this. But of course, many of the English people they met, particularly the men, figured he'd abandon her someplace in Egypt. Or they would both be killed on the Nile. And, you know, there you were. Let's don't talk out of school. Wasn't that one of the reasons why he didn't want to head back to England with her yet? Because it still was pretty scandalous and he knew that it would be trouble. So they decided to go on an adventure and completely shift their route. Yes, they liked adventures. <laughs> they liked doing these things. And Florence, having grown up in the house in the Ottoman Empire, spoke fluent Arabic. And this was one of the things that tipped me off at one point going along the Nile there sort of being held hostage by an African chief because he's trading slaves up and down the Nile. And he suggests to Sam that he leave Florence. And before Sam can answer, Florence is just livid with rage and balls him out in street Arabic. You don't learn those words and those expressions except in a household full of Arabic servants. And she just ripped him up one side and down the other. And eventually he said to Sam, no, maybe you should take her. <laughs> Effectively, because he didn't think she was going to be a harridan and ball him out and tell him how insulting he was. She was an asset to have around in every way. She was an asset to have around. Sam was learning Arabic, but she always knew it better than he did. Uh, however, he knew how to command 300 African porters or bargain for camels or all of the absolutely crazy life-threatening things they did. They were quite a pair. They were. She didn't do the things Arabs and Africans along the Nile thought a white woman would do, didn't behave the way they thought she should behave and ran, so to speak, tight ship. <laughs> They had the element of surprise always, it sounds like. Everyone underestimated her as a woman, I'm sure. And then obviously, as a white woman, even more so. And, and obviously, because she stood out and had always stood out, I think, in her life, people did hear about her, didn't they? That she had a reputation in the end. You mentioned in the book that the remnants of that still echoed, reverberated her name, Morning Star, or her nickname. There were so few white women in Africa at the time, and none like Florence, for sure. I mean, none ever like her. She was well known and quite probably regarded as a little bit magical, you know, as a woman who knew about mystical, magical, secret things or poisons or who could understand what was going on when she shouldn't understand and all of this kind of thing. So she, she was a lady to be reckoned with. Was that the trip where she met the child that she adopted? One could say adopted. I mean, obviously no formal adoption ever went through. But the slave trade was very active along the Nile, both Arabs capturing and selling off Africans, Africans selling off and capturing people from other tribes. And of course, there was gold and ivory and incense and myrrh and all kinds of valuable products that could be obtained through warfare or raiding. And at one of them, a very small boy, undernourished, crept up to her in their tent, prostrated himself on the ground and said, take me, I will be your good boy. I will do whatever you want. Just take me away from here. And she persuaded Sam to do it. He was a little, well, he was Victorian in his attitudes towards people of color. He was fed up with many of the people he had hired and enlisted to help them who were lying or thieving or would complain about their duties or just endless 
not really wanting to do what he wanted them to do bravely and calmly and properly and taking on a little black African boy sounded like a very risky proposition. But Chloe wanted the boy and she took him in and he was later killed in one of innumerable battles along the Nile and she was very wounded and grieving at the loss of this baby. I mean, not quite a baby, but she must have connected him with herself. He must have been about the same age she was. And finally, somebody took him in as they had her and fed her enough so she was no longer starving and no longer stunted in her growth and educated him and taught him how to do things. So she has to have seen herself in him. Heartbreaking. You said it was fraught with near-death experiences and disease and absolutely everything that could have been thrown at them was thrown at them as far as challenges. She got them out of plenty of situations because of who she was as a person and her ability to speak many languages and surprise people and all of those things. The help that Sam got from her and because they were a formidable duo, they did make it. Where did they end up in the end? Uh, they got to the Victoria Nyanza. I mean, they got all the way to the lake. And this sort of premise was borrowed for the African queen. And it was much that kind of thing. But, you know, talk about pouring rain and disease and lack of food or lots of food. And every once in a while, Sam would go off on something like he went off with a tribe that was known for hunting elephants on horseback, where you gallop up behind the elephant and you slash at its Achilles tendon, which obviously the elephant does not care for, and spins around, but that just about dislocates his leg. And an elephant is such a great pile of meat and so beloved by that group that he's considered quite a, quite a good hunter. You know, he learns this crazy technique, which is threatening your life at the least. They actually did bump into, was it Burton or Speak along the way? Am I right? They do. I believe that's when Speak goes back with Grant, not with Burton to try to save his reputation. It doesn't actually, I think Burton was the saving grace of that duo because he, like Sam, would go anywhere, do anything, passes anything, learn the language, and speak was a military man and like things all sort of orderly and nice and proper. One of the reasons that they made it to the Victorian Nyans, and one of the reasons was because they got the tip-offs or the information they needed from, was it Burton? I think it was Burton. So they had some information, but there was no earthly way of finding out or recording or passing along all the many things one needed to know to get up the Nile. And one of the things I'm trying to remember if it was on their first or second trip, Sam does is at one point they get into the Sud, which is a swampy area where the Nile as a big river no longer exists. It's just myriad little interbreeding rivers and if you choose the wrong one you'll get stuck forever and he decides the only way to get the ship through there after they get stuck is to block the Nile so he has his men dam the Nile so the water will build up and refloat their ship I mean the sheer gall of thinking you could possibly dam the Nile and they don't have cement or anything like that they have a lot of men and they have mud mm. and logs. It's absolutely outrageous that they do this and it works. And it <laughs> works partly just because they think it will. They believe, they have so much belief. One of the, the things I always find interesting because obviously there's that Victorian attitude that Sam definitely had. That, mm -hmm. that sense of, I wouldn't say superiority, but I guess it is really, or at least yeah. 
righteousness is that too strong a word but that he knew and that's how it was going to be or do you think that's the, we can say it's a victorian attitude or do you think it's a combination of his absolute self-belief and a victorian attitude maybe com- the combination of the two yes i think it was and for sure that's the only way they lived through this trip i mean really they go through country that was notorious for warrior tribes on foot and okay they had guns with them but how many guns can you carry and who is to be sure that your servants who don't want to go to this area because they know they're going to die aren't going to run off with the guns i mean the whole thing it has to be that unshakable belief in your competency and your rightness and your superiority i mean that's really the only thing you can call it and i have to say although it could be seen as hopelessly racist, and certainly they did not consider the natives their equal. There just was that confidence and that belief. The three that, yeah. that would have gone through Sam and how his upbringing, having been someone of the upper class in, in England, yes, growing up in that way. And it's interesting, though, I always think the combination, because obviously, although Florence had been born to a well-to-do white family, she had a different experience of the world from a young age. So do you think the fact that she didn't see it, that view that Sam will have had, because she saw all the nuance and all the things that were going on around her in a different way, do you think that that was what saved them in certain situations? Yes, I do, because, I mean, she knew she was vulnerable from finding out that she was a slave and that nothing was the way she had thought it was through the escapes and the the various circumstances they were in. She was acutely aware of the danger. I think she knew absolutely, but she was also blessed with an unshakable belief in Sam, that he was a decent man who would not do anything wrong, that he was smart, that he could do these crazy things, build a railroad, dam the Nile, whatever, and eat tin lobster for lunch. He was a totally remarkable man, and she believed in him completely. And she did not live in fear that he was going to dump her in some back alley in Cairo. He wouldn't do that. That would not be Sam. And I think that that's also a huge part of it, isn't it? It's that everyone else could see that too. And he was the kind of person that people believed in. So if he said something, you know, it might have taken them a second on a first meeting to to find that out. But my goodness, what you see is what you get, as they say. Heroin City listeners, I hope you're enjoying this episode about Lady Florence Baker. We are pausing it here and you will be able to catch the second half of her exceptional story next week on Heroin City. Join us then. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us on Instagram and listen to all the other episodes that we've done, which are numerous and wonderful. Some about Anne Sancho, we've got Bess of Hardwick, we've got Amberlin's Women and many, many more. So check out the other episodes and we'll see you next week for the second part of the Lady Florence Baker story here on Heroin City.